Welcome to the Stats Check Podcast with your host, Andrew and Joe. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter at Stats Check Podcast. And now to this week's review of Furry Curry Season 2 Progressive, Episode 1, Restart. Yeah, Restart? Uh, no. Restart. I, um, <laughs> maybe we should, no. Let's, let's just ride off of that, even though I don't like the name. Why don't you like the name? What's not to like about restarting? You're hitting it's, restart. You're putting a button. No, it's 100% on the money. I just feel like, especially with the history of this and its association with other kind of like slash hyphenated parenthetical title sort of things, like this is, it's not a rebuild and I, I want more mental separation from that. I'm still from, from from the from the deep wound that Ava has given you, Joe. Yeah. I'm very sorry. So I'm let's not talk sorry. about that. Let's All talk right, about so this. No zero salt in the wound because we're gonna go with first impression, first take. You know, I think that we are coming off our other um, episode reviewing season one, kind of saying where we're at. I was super positive, uh, much like Domi's mom uh, in the <laughs> beginning of this episode. And you were sort of, well, Sundire. So, you know, I, 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 I think that's too hard. I mean, I was, I was trying to be excited about it. And you know what? Nobody out there is going to believe it. None of my friends think I'm going to say this right now, but I really like this episode. I really what? like where they're going. I can't, I can't believe it. I mean, honestly, I, I, I was expecting a tall glass of Haterade. I know. And I, let me tell you, I'm really waiting for the opportunity that I'll get to really lay that out here and draw the ire of a lot of people by, you know, spreading flack left and right. But this is just not that time. Good. Yeah. I'm glad you feel that way because that's exactly how I feel. I honestly, when I saw that first scene, I swear with the clock, I was like two seconds. You know, I saw the, uh, the little second hand ticking. And I was like, oh, man, I'm really nervous about this. And then I heard the music drop and saw the scene. And I was like, oh, no, this is really good. This is, this is good. <laughs> I'm into it already. Yeah, it's, it started really strong. I think it had to. You know, I mean, the episode one of the original series starts a little on the slow side. But this was right in your face, big graphics. And I, I mean, I'm, I'm going to say probably the only negative thing that I could say is that that was probably the high point for the music. I'll agree with you, though, but that's where you want it to be. I mean, you want to come in strong with the music. Sure. I mean, it's, it's still the pillows. I still like it, but it's not like as, you know, sort of inexplicably heart-wrenching as every time it was in the original. But yeah, that I, is the I, only yeah. negative comparison I'm going to make, I promise. All right. No, no. Yeah, no, that's great. So we start out with almost all positivity. Uh, I'm with you there on the music, but I think we're, the way we're going to break this down is we're just going to go, as we're doing each episode, we're going to go kind of through the scenes and then work at the end towards uh, any themes, you know, whether that's themes in this series or tying it back to the first season and then kind of speculation on the next episode, what's to come and what's going on in the series. So mm. I think the first scene is sort of, I mean, let's just start with that sort of uh, junk world scene. You know, uh, you have a, a much, a kind of creepy decaying uh, mechanic there. I'm trying to think of what other animes that, that kind of... Evangelion. Uh, Evangelion, yes, yes. But also I think... Falling off of, maybe? Come on, almost exactly 
to the letter, the decay of Ray's body when the anti-AT field is going on. Yeah, yeah, you're Sorry. right. I, ha- I had to go there. But that's you're what right. I thought of. You're right, and th- and that's and that's where they're at too, because obviously that's the throw to. You know, season one had it very clear that they were throwing to Ava. Also, much sexier robot this time. Yeah, it's definitely a different aesthetic we're looking at here. I mean, the classic Vespa is still there, but we have some fancy new mechanicals all around. Yeah. I couldn't place this first scene. You know, is it, I mean, it's, it's a dream. It's Hidomi's dream. Right. That, I was going to say, it's clearly her dream. Is it like a flashback too? Or is it looking, you know, it's a, a prophetic dream or it is could it just be, nothing? Yeah, it could be both. I mean, I, I, I don't, I, I don't, I don't know. Because I mean, what do we see there? We see big irons flattening out the planet like was right. prefigured in the end of the original series. Right. And the last episode of season done. one. Yeah. And we have like, I don't know if you saw it, but I'm pretty sure that big thing was supposed to be Atomsk, you know, his what? body. Yeah. I guess, I guess it would have to be under, under like a pillow of ash. Yeah. I mean, but it looked like a big spread Eagle creatures, you know, laying out there a big bird. Well, he, he's a bird. Uh, yeah. I think the director after season one said, no, he's a bird. He's not a human. So, <laughs> well, I mean, it looked like a bird. There was a wingspan on that thing. I mean, and, and, and to skip way ahead, but to tie back to this scene in the end, when they show, um, when they show Atomusk, he's a giant bird at the end of, in the end of credits. Right. Yeah. I, I want to spend some time on the credits just sort of by themselves. Right. No, we will. But I'm just saying that, you know, to validate, yeah. The, the beginning of the scene. And then you, you get that scene, which kind of, you know, hypes you up, gets the battle element there going, the good music, and then cut to waking up. And that famous line was that nothing ever happens here or nothing yeah. interesting ever happens. Nothing here. amazing. Amazing. There you know, go. it's only the ordinary. And yeah, I mean, you could have been watching the intro to anything else, but this hits you home. It's like, no, you're watching Rory Curry. Yeah, for sure. And you get the you get the feel from there on out. You know, it's an introduction, but you say, okay, this is Furry Curry though. And and I want I guess this is a good time to say that looking back on it, I think it would be possible to just pick this episode up on its own without having watched the original and still have it make as much sense as it could. Sure, yeah. I mean, I didn't actually get a fresh opinion like that, but that's my guess. I think I think you could. I mean, it's funny. I was talking to a friend who had never seen F. Oh, sorry, a friend who had seen FLCL and then their partner who had not, and they're trying to describe it to their partner as like one of the zaniest things you'd ever seen. And in that vein, you know, it's it's something that you could come to and still pick up and follow without having seen season one. I think. And that was something that I felt, you know, a similar thing, largely because the pacing. And the art style for the visuals was different than it was in the early part of season one. Mm -hmm. It was at different points. And this is going to sound really paradoxical. It wasn't as fast as season one, but it also wasn't as slow as season one. I completely, the funny thing is if you've seen season one and you also like listen to our uh, review, you know, that makes total sense because the, the kind of buildup was slow in 
episode one, despite the the style being fast, the way they would mm-hmm. cut around, and it's the way it was really, really like an advert or a music video. This one was a little bit slower, but it was still fast enough that it didn't drag or get into a real doldrum. I mean, there was excitement, I think, around every turn. I mean, for example, you know, she wakes up and she's wearing the cat ears, right? When she wakes up. Yeah, she has them on almost all the time. Yeah, so she wakes up and she gets a knife thrust at her within like five five seconds, you know? (laughs) I'm like, oh, shit. You know, especially we're coming from the scene where, you know, she had her arms chopped off, you know, (laughs) or rotted, rotted off. And I'm like, well, okay, we almost have her arm lost there to her extremely, extremely happy mother. I don't know about happy, maybe peppy. Peppy, Zest, peppy. Zesty, if that's not going to traumatize yes. you. Zesty, very, very... <laughs> it might. But yeah, no, very uh, energetic, energetic mother. You know, peppy is, is another good word. But yeah, no, just making making breakfast, wanting to engage with her, immediately calling out for being a Sundire, which which once again, for those who may not know, you know, is a character who appears cold at first, but is actually warm on the inside, much like Joseph. Yeah. <laughs> Again, personal matters aside, I, I don't know, you have that characterization. And I think, you know, that's kind of the rule that we have as viewers for casting characters that way. But I don't know how much, you know, as we see Hidomi in this episode, I don't know how much she sort of goes with that. You know, the warmth on the inside is maybe it's too soon to tell. Yeah, I mean, if warmth on the inside is an no, then maybe. <laughs> right. I mean, it's. I mean, we'll we'll get to it, but she seems at this point in time very just demotivated. Yeah, yeah. In, in, in a similar, and I think that's the parallel, right? So that's the parallel to um, Naota is is that you know the the beginning they're just not motivated, they're not moving, right? And that's true. And 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 for, for now, to, maybe we don't see it as much because he has mom and me right there sort of egging him on in different ways. And Hidomi doesn't really have anybody like that. You know, nobody intercepts her on the way to school or, you know, nags her at different points in time, you know, other than her mother, who she's used to ignoring the antics of, it seems. Right. And and now one thing I will say, you know, I was kind of impressed because, uh, you know, we, one thing we really did hit on in the Season one, and and I was surprised in this first scene, but it seems like her mother is a, at least comparatively, a responsible adult. I, I mean, compared to the season one characters and the adult characters, the physical adult characters, you know, she seems fairly mature and altogether. Now, not to say that she's, you know, wouldn't have her her issues because clearly there there are things that in her past that we'll get to later. But you know, she's taking care of the the kids. She's positive. You know, she's there she's present yeah i mean she's Kamon worried when her keep... kid disappears you know come mm-hmm. can't keep the bakery open he can't keep his side publishing thing going on strong whereas you know here the cafe is open all the time you know the house isn't a total wreck so yeah definitely the most reasonable adult we've seen and that's with the knife waving you know as the good morning right right even with the knife that's still more responsible than anybody from season one <laughs> <laughs> so yeah no and w- so when hidomi walks to school though she she does have people say hello to her like that's one thing you know she's not stigmatized right. in any way like people are afraid of her or you know she's coming off as like threatening or anything like people do say hello and like she just like and i like the i love the art style where they kind of make her into the little cat ghost yeah 
And I, I, I noticed that too, you know, that she does have people greet her and she does, you know, in her way reply. And it, it gives some credence in my mind to what her mother's saying that, you know, this is kind of a phase that she's going through that, you know, maybe in the past she was more engaged with her peers than she seems to be now. Right. Cause they're in junior high right now. Yes. Okay. Yeah. So she's still, she's still pretty young. So yeah, no, I think we, that brings us to the school scene where yeah. we get my boy Ide. Your boy. Uh, how, my how is boy. He your boy exactly? He's I, my boy. He's my boy Ide. No, I identify with that. You know, I mean, that's, that's which pretty... part? <laughs> the him part. The unusual crew that he hangs out in. The half-baked plots that he's coming up with. Which I, I mean, I remember you wearing a kilt, right, Joe? That was you. I will admit that I wore in high school some pants that perhaps were wide enough to be a kilt. <laughs> but no, I don't think anybody went all the way to like that level. Yeah, yeah. So, so no, I, I mean, I was just, I was just rolling. And, and they, they got it kind of quick there because um, that intro too, when they cut into that intro where you see a group of friends that look strangely like Naoto's friends from season one. You know, you see those friends and then you see him, but you, the way they cut him is you seeing the, just the Band-Aid and then the black hair in the beginning. So you're like, oh, shoot, is that him? Is that him? Are we going to get him again? <laughs> you know, which I think is, is one of the themes, you know, and I'll get back to that. But, well, you know, Haruko doesn't has a type, right? <laughs> yeah, no, she for sure has a type. She's, she's, she's into it. So it was, it was a kind of a reveal when they actually pull back and you see, oh, it's not Naota, it's Ide. And... You know, Ide apparently banged the teacher. Uh, yeah. And it's, I mean, and it's says, living, the, living the dream, I guess. <laughs> I'm sorry. Maybe. No, we went to the same classes. I don't know how you have that dream. And I don't. <laughs> uh, we, you obviously weren't paying attention in junior high school. But, you know, it, it, was, it, it, was, it was hilarious. Because that's exactly the way that, that banter goes on. It's like, oh, tell me about it. What happened last night? Oh, no, 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 no. I'm not going to. No, I don't want to give away any details. Yeah, all right. So I, I see I see you in there then. Yeah, he's definitely grandstanding a little bit in front of these guys. You know, it probably didn't go as far as he wants to lead them on to think it went. Oh, it for sure did not. He did not actually have sex. But, you know, the, it, was, it was, you know, some furikuri to uh, <laughs> open up that portal. Yeah, yeah, definitely. You know, you see he makes the same hand motions that Naoto's grandfather does when he's demonstrating the furikuri technique. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. So that whole interchange, and that, that whole interchange was very paced. I liked it. Uh, it was funny and, you know, a little bit, a little bit risque when, like, he's checking her out as, as she comes in. Hidomi walks in the room and kind of checking her out. So obviously that's, like, a interest there, right? I think it has to be, and I don't know where it's coming from exactly. I mean, the camera angle goes there, and you're assuming that this is Ide's gaze at, I mean, really at her butt sitting down in the chair there. Yeah, I mean, I was going to say, it's thirst at this point. It's not anything but right. thirst. But, you know, if you're like in that 13 to 15 age bracket there, there's a lot of you know, really indiscriminate thirst in general. We didn't even oh. have that word back then, old timers that we are now. No, I wish we did. It would have it would have just cut it to the cut it to the the chase so quickly. You know, but 
don't rule it to that group. I mean, obviously that is not, you know, being thirsty, it's not restricted to ages 13 to 18. I mean, I know people who are much older and that's part of it, you know, who don't grow up and are unregulated. Right. But I mean, in this case, it just... It's unabashed. It seems like it could just be a careless glance. Maybe it's not yes. something else that's going on. And maybe it casts what he's saying with his interaction with the teacher in a different light because it seems like he's really driving himself to look like this in front of his friends. You know, he has this plan to try to take her to an art show and all of this mm -hmm. stuff. So the, the, the teacher. Yeah. But, you know, whose benefit is that, you know, is waving that ticket around really for? Right, right. So did you catch... I know that the second time they're in the classroom, the text messages had subtitles, but the first time she's looking at her phone, on the version I was looking at, there weren't any subtitles. Maybe if I put on closed captioning, no, there might no. be something. I, I didn't see anything. I was watching a recording of you know the Adult Swim midnight broadcast. They have it up on their website as the same. I don't think there's another version yet. So. And and that's free for everyone, right? That's that's accessible yeah. for everyone. Okay. And we'll, At least as far as I was using it to rewatch before we started this. And we'll put a link on our Facebook and Twitter for people to go over there and check that out if they haven't seen it already. So you can catch up on this episode <laughs> if you're already halfway into this episode. By the way, spoiler alert. Yeah. I'm hoping everybody has already watched it like on the planet you know, <laughs> made history biggest you know biggest event of all time it'll it'll I, allow you to rewatch <laughs> so 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 did you catch what the teacher was saying in the beginning i really couldn't find that was so fast and i was kind of getting into the the zone of just the the setting that i really didn't catch what she said during that first run it was a lot about you know the development of teens yeah and yeah. I think it was one, of course, because it's Furikuri and because they set the pace so high, it was meant to be unapproachable, indecipherable in some ways. But I did go back and try to listen to it closely and even more so her later monologue. But it reflected kind of a malaise about, you know, being a youth in the contemporary time and kind of in a, a resignation to the pointlessness of schooling and of trying to better yourself and things like that. And, you know, I mean, she sums up with pretty much that you know, it's been a week and I've already taught you everything that you need to know. Yeah. You know, you don't know this at the time that this is actually Haruko in disguise, but, you know, looking back on it, knowing that it sounds very much like the kind of thing that Haruko would say not completely honestly. Yeah, but that's very her. And looking back on, it, yeah, yeah, when I mean, you when you reflect on, it. but also every lie she tells has some meaning to it, has some something to be gained for it for the listener. It's not just because she likes playing pranks on people, but she does. But there is something I think that rings true in it about how teenagers in this day and age, or you know, in past days and ages, right feel and certainly you know when you look at Hidomi you know who's not paying attention to this at all you know it should have some traction yeah definitely so 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 she she comes up and then and then that's the scene where she shows everybody she shows um, Hidomi porn right that was pretty much the not just any it was teacher student oriented oh, oh okay 100% for Ide's benefit like he's yeah no Ide is like off pants. in the side yeah no I, I don't need to see what your reaction to this is going to be Ide and like oh my boy, I'm sorry. But 
she's completely unfazed. And, you know, we don't know what, what Aruko as the teacher makes of this at the time, but clearly well, not I, having any reaction to something like that is, is tough. But I think that's the point is that for some people, you know, and, and it, for um, Nauta, it was the, the same way. He needed more than what was being provided and what was already out there to kick off his adolescent journey and his growth and, you know, go through puberty essentially to like hit that developmental stage. Right. And, and uh, there you go. You, you were actually like really vindicated here because adolescence wasn't named as such in the original series. And you definitely said, no, you know, this is an important stage. We need to talk about it. And sure enough, in this setting, it does get name dropped as its own thing. We're not talking about children becoming adults. We're talking about children going through adolescence. Yep. You're welcome. (laughs) You're welcome. I think it's diagnostic in some ways because, you know, it's a different way of conceiving of the maturation process. Is it just, okay, you go from a child who has no responsibilities, if we're going to use that framework, to being an adult who has to have responsibilities? Or is there an intermediate period that's kind of experimental? Yeah, and I think that that's that. I think that's it. And you have the pulls on one end of being a child and still being a child and not being an adult yet, because because you aren't. You just aren't. But at the same time, you're being pulled slowly, inevitably, towards adulthood or towards being expected to be an adult. And how do you deal with that? And how do you process that? I mean, that that that's it. It is fascinating. It's a very small period of our lives, but it's extremely fascinating because you don't, you're, like you said, you're not encumbered by those burdens of adulthood. Not um, all of them. <laughs> not all of them. That's right. I mean, obviously you see kind of cutting away from that scene in, in, which, there's, in which there's no reaction to Hidomi working in the cafe, right? That's the next scene, correct? Mm-hmm. I believe, yeah. After so, school, so, here she is waiting tables. So she's already got more responsibility than a child would. She, she's taken some, you know, other steps there there's things that are going on in her life that like differentiate her from a child because even in Japan child labor's not okay well i mean she's 14 i think and clearly she's been doing this for a little while cuz the cafe's regulars who are an interesting bunch in their own right recognize her and praise her for her really bad customer service they must there must just be awful atrocious customer service in this city now this city is not Mabase, right? This is clearly I a different city because they no. Because if you know you with the far away shots, you know there's clearly still a river there, but that's nothing special or unique. There's a not the, one river in Japan, Joe. Well, yeah, but I mean, just you know, so you have the medical mechanica plant, and it's not sitting in the same place that it was clearly when it was Mabase, but at the same time there are some hints that it could be a later version of Mabase because if you recall episode six, Atoms picks the factory up and then drops it again to much destruction. And the factory in this town, in this episode, is sitting really in kind of a wasted zone. You know, there's a ring around it of just bare dirt, which is possibly what you could have after, you know, an impact and, you know, just sort of a stabilization of it to get it back up and running. Well, then in the scene afterwards, and I believe it is immediately following afterwards when it's just Hidomi's mom and Hidomi on the street. Yep. And, and before anything happens, the, the mentions there, and I think this is the really important scene, you know, were to the other medical mechanica play and this man in 
her life, which is which is triggering immediately. They know the what domain. they're doing to us. They're they're, yeah. they're dangling something yeah. for us here. Well, we'll 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 get there. We'll get there. That's for later in the episode. But I mean, the, you know, that's put out there, which which made me think maybe this this probably isn't Mabase. I'm gonna assume for now that it isn't because there's more that would be needed to explain you know, how it corrected itself. But and, uh, you know. I'm going to push back on you here because if you look at first classroom scene, Ide's talking to his friends, pans like some of the stuff on the walls there, and you get references to Mabase. You have a photo of Atomsk holding the factory as this giant bird, which is apparently totally normal and just a newspaper clipping in your classroom. Yeah, totally but, normal. Yeah, not amazing. Really ordinary to have a giant flaming bird pass through your town, but... To me, it makes me think that if it's not a big deal, if it is only local news that's ordinary, there's only one town I can think of where that really fits the bill. Uh, so I think we, I think we agree to disagree on this one, Chuck. I think okay. we're, we're not that's in the same fine. position. So you, you've I got to look forward to you know flapping in front of you when it turns out you're wrong about this. Uh, you, you will be buying me drinks at the um, lounge in DragonCon when you fail on this one. So the 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 scene then cuts to I think you know we we're expecting a Vespa, but instead we get what a nineteen fifties car that looks like it's straight out of Cuba, right? I mean, what did you did you get the make and model on that I, one, Joe? I did not. I'm sure they'll name drop it later, but I am not a gearhead. I can't place it. It's nice. <laughs> it, it's definitely like definitely classic rock style. I mean, it's got the sort of same fins of the guitar. You know, it's a sweet ride though. But of course, just like in season one, it comes along out of nowhere and hits you when you're not ready for it. Again, at the moment where, I mean, as Jin Yu says it later, where Hidomi was going to overflow. Because, know, really, she, because she was triggered by that conversation about the absent man and leaving that place and not waiting for him. Yeah. And at a moment where she was going to express some resolve, which is something she doesn't do really any other point in time. You know, she was about to tell her mother something positive to do, and she never gets the chance to get it out. Well, I, li- I like how you're assuming it's positive. I thought it might be I, negative. Not, I thought not, she not might... In, like... Not in the feel-good, feel-bad sense, but in the I propose we should actually do something. She takes initiative. Got positive it. in the sense of it's not her normal approach to life that we're seeing, which is very passive and mm-hmm. very disengaged from the people around her. She wants to tell her mother something. Yeah, so so enter Gen Yu, right? Gets hit, very unapologetic, just like before. Sorry the hit wasn't fatal. I mean, <laughs> it's, it's not like before, though, because yes, that, that is a thing there where she was expecting a sure kill, and she approaches it with a totally different demeanor. She doesn't, you know, certainly her method for reviving Hidomi isn't as involved. Ah, uh, no, unfortunately not. But... It's also, you know, she says very different things. She talks about taking responsibility. Responsibility? What's that? Well, I don't know right now. I mean, I've thought a lot about that concept, you know, before this in other areas. And, you know, this is a point that they go back and forth on, even in this scene. You know, Jin Yu says she's taking responsibility. It's not clear for what or how. You know, her mother says, you know, that's that's a hit and run. Don't ever be an irresponsible adult like that. They have different opinions on what that means, even though she admits that Jin Yu is really cool. Right, right. I mean, so she's he, got those glasses. How can you argue with those glasses? Okay, and, and here, here's where I got 
I got to ask you something because I, spoiler alert for those of you who, like me, haven't watched a lot of Gurren Lagann. Yes, but, that was Gurren Lagann. That was 100% okay. Gurren I'm going to tell you, I stopped reading the manga for that after Kamina died. That's the spoiler. And uh, But you know that he's going to be the drill that pierces the heavens. Right. And, and yeah. you know, Jinyu's sunglasses really make you think about Kamina's sunglasses. Yes. And, you know, we know that Studio Gainax has been involved deeply in the history of Furikuri. And so it's no accident. And I, you know, certainly the attitude that Jinyu has, the posture she has, could make you think of, you know, a very positive, masculine type role model like Kamina was. Yes. Which is why I was so heartbroken when they killed him. Yeah, no, and I and I like that. I like that she's she does have that sort of aura, but is feminine. That that's that's really awesome that they like cast that in that way. And I think it works out for the series being honestly not male driven series, which is right. But I'm going to push back on this. I don't know how awesome it is because at the same time, it's and I don't know enough about this, but it feels like it is toying with an idea of you know, sort of what you get as far as, you know, kind of cross play and cross dressing in certain areas. And and maybe I've been reading like too You've much metal re- master or something, but yeah, some weird, you know, the idea some weird. Of dressing, dressing a girl up in guys clothes because she has like, you know, a masculine charm about her already is it's, it's a recurring theme that I've seen in weird parts of the internet that I scour around for otaku type crap. We, we don't need to go to those dark depths, Joe. But we know very well that Furikuri is deeply invested in taking, you know, hard looks at different parts of culture around anime and manga and, you know, music and fashion. I mean, you see this in the classroom thing where they're yes. debating the gendered clothing. And so here's like a different approach to that as well. And I just don't have a good grip on what it means. I mean, certainly as a character, as an individual, Jinyu is really cool, as you know, everyone openly admits. But I don't know what to make of the writer's decision-making here, especially when you cut to the end and she's dressed up in a maid outfit. <laughs> I, I, I just thought that was, that was comedy gold. But, you know, once again, you did a, it's a difference, and, and this is pretty clear. You did, you did two watches. You did an a initial watch and a rewatch, right, Joe? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I wanted to have like the initial watch of what was it going to feel like just if they threw me into it. And then I wanted to really go back and focus on, you know, some of the word choices and some of the scenes. Right. And I am the lazy one who did just the fresh take. So, I mean, you're getting my one take, normal speed, no pauses. Um, well, on I this, mean, you're remembering the scene order better than I am. So yeah, and, and right after the, and right, yeah. So so right after this, the the one thing you know before we go move away from that scene, the one thing I thought was interesting was we got a little bit more plot about the cat ear microphone, the mm-hmm. headphones. Yeah, that they're a gift from somebody important, right? And that they don't play, they don't play music. That they're just noise. I don't even know if they're noise canceling. They just are to pretend that she's not listening. Well, it's not that they don't. I mean, maybe they could. But they're definitely not like she has them off. And I don't you you then probably didn't see this. I'm going to say maybe if you did, your eye is sharper than mine because I had to go back and look again. When Jinyu's holding them, you know, she's 
fingering the headband part. Yeah. And you see the Medical Mechanica logo on the side of it. I, I, I noticed there was a logo she was stroking, and then yeah. I, I was like, that's something important. I know Joe will catch it. Yeah. That's, sure that, that's why he's here, ladies and gentlemen. That's why he's here. So she's absolutely right. This isn't just something you can pick up off a street vendor. There is definitely a mystery here. And I think there's more of a mystery aura around this season, this opening, than there was in season one, even though there were lots of unanswered questions there. Well, yeah, here it's it's like, what is why is um, Jinyu after um, Haruko? Like, you know, she's like, well, obviously it's clear when she's talking about watch out for the woman on a Vespa. There's only <laughs> one woman on a Vespa in yep. Furikuri. You know, so is she part of this galactic police brotherhood that we heard about that really doesn't exist, that might exist? You know, is she part of... Somebody was yelling at her through that cat, but we don't know anything about it yet. <laughs> yeah, what, what was that? Was that uh, she was getting a radio thing through the cat again? Uh, yeah, that, that was the, that was what was supposedly going on in season one is Haruko was getting communication through Mew Mew the cat. Oh, that, that's, that's right. Oh, sorry. From season one, but not, yeah, yeah. Well, no, no cat has appeared yet. Okay. No, uh, I mean, Hidomi has the cat ears and the right. only other thing you have cat like is some of her childhood drawings on the refrigerator in the kitchen. Right, right. Okay, got it. So that's what we get out of that out of that scene and with the with the headphones. And obviously, she could hear through them. I thinking about it since she woke up in the first scene. Yeah, you hear her hearing her phone jingle. So clearly, they're not noise canceling. Yeah, and so that thing of not listening is going to come back to us again and again. I'm I'm excited for it because it seems like a really <laughs> because you don't listen. No, well, I am that guy. You know, if you see me out in public, I have headphones on. Yeah. I am playing music in them, but it's I, I can identify with that not wanting to engage with a lot of things around you in that way. And, and in a way, that's sort of modernity, right? You know, we always like, you know, we, we do not to get not to go too much on themes, you know, yet. But I mean, there's a lot of disengagement. That's one, you know, huge. No, thing. no, that- we're, we're, we're super meta here. This is a yeah. podcast. People can <laughs> listen to it on their pod, which is an individual listening experience. One of my advisors in the past would pick on this, especially it's like, why do you have headphones on? Why don't you share your musical experience with the people around you as a community? And he was an yes. old crank, bless him. I really appreciated a lot that he did for me, even though he wanted to kick me out of the program. <laughs> but I think this is something that I want to pay attention to going forward. I think there's a lot to work with in this theme. Yeah, no, and I, I agree. It's, it's a fascinating topic and a fascinating take on like, you know, what's going on right now, today, 2018. Which and has changed from Furikuri, by the way, which, yeah. you know, everything has changed. I mean, that's one of the things I was interested in. You know, could it keep fresh with the times the same way that it did in 2000, where it hit everything contemporarily on the head? And I think it's so far so good, right? Right. Yeah, no, really good. So so keeping moving forward with the, the chronology, we're, we're actually getting pretty far in the episode. I think that after the, the scene happens and, uh, you know, Ginny takes off, there's the that cuts to the scene where we get the uh, robot attack, right? She's in a room on YouTube, clearly YouTube, by the way. That, and and just it, before anyone else wants to go out there and look, that YouTube link doesn't work. Oh, oh, there was you could pause it and look for that link. Yes, and okay. I did, and it doesn't connect to anything right now. 
I'm pretty <laughs> sure I didn't get a typo. So if I'm wrong, please, you know, hit us up Facebook or Twitter. Let me know because I want to know what she was watching. If there's anything there. Well, you know, then, then we we next level them and we throw some podcast stuff in the link and, and then we're, we're, we're good. <laughs> so, yeah, no. So, so we get robots. So she, 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 you know, gets, uh, I think grappled. I think it tries to grapple her and she jumps out or maybe it grapples her no, and she breaks free. Her. This is, I mean, this is one of those cool action scenes that you really identify with Furi Curry. You know, it breaks into her room and she does this great, like jump off of her rolling chair to try to get away from it. Going from like being totally sedate to being an action heroine in yes. you know zero seconds, but it still grabs her. Yeah, you know? yeah. But you get this you know great motion scene. Yeah, and it just it pulls her out, and it kind of matches up to the medical mechanica robots we're used to. You know, it doesn't look exactly like a hand, but it has something on the back that kind of makes you think it's a wrist. Yeah, Maybe. it could be a hand, and it, it seemed the medical mechanica style of robot. Yeah. It made me think of the one that came out of Nina Mori's head more than anything else. Yeah, yeah. Which would line up given that it didn't come out of Hidomi, it came out of Ide, right? That's the, the source that's, of this. That's what we find out. And this was something nice that I liked that they did. You're not actually following Haruko knocking robots out of people's head the whole time. You know, it's sort of backgrounded. You know what's going on at this point. You know, what is he doing so late at night? You know, the teacher going over to his place and this and that. You know, he's got a bandage on his head. It's like, okay, you see the MO here. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Style is. Exactly. So they run into each other on the street. Well, actually, Almost. no, it, it chases her and then it, it, it ejects him or something. The robot ejects him. Like, how does yeah. he land like that? Yeah. Yeah. So my guess is, and why I'm saying it's a wrist, you know, they always come out and grip first. It does this weird flick move from its back end and his body, like, flies onto screen. And, like, I thought this was really symbolic in a way because he gets thrown at her in this rigid position before this they have no interaction other than like a brief glance in class Mm -hmm. and this really seemed like hey guys we're gonna throw this perspective pairing at you here you know you better recognize that we're throwing this bait at you it's like it's so forced that they're gonna have to interact here right right and and and, you know that was very interesting wrist you know because it's like oh you know what's her reaction to that does that get and i think it did get sort of like a a a reaction from her maybe it was the whole scenario wrapped together it's hard to tell but you know her like looking at it and kind of you know just trying to assess what was going on so i mean obviously i look i'm a big shipper so i'm always looking to find the 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 pairs yeah and it seems like something's going on between them because I mean, yeah, there's kind of that hesitant moment where they are acting like they don't know each other's name when they encounter each other there. But later on, he tries to defend her from it when it switches targets to her. And she, you know, reaches that overflow point when she's looking at him having gotten injured trying to save her. Right. So they're not total strangers and they're not just classmates i'm sure there's something else going on there that we'll get like in a flashback or something just like we'll get what's going on between jinyu and haruko because clearly this is the this is the scene you know when they're running across the bridge and she's explaining everything or sorry ide is explaining sort of the situation on how it popped out of his head i think that's the first cut to haruko who's like watching and waiting right yeah this is the first time you see her i mean you see the vespa outside of the school i believe but this is the first time her face graces the well, screen. 
And the Vespa outside of the school was part of that huge trick because when they cut in the beginning, going back to that scene, they cut to the Vespa and then they cut to, you know, like I said, the partial shots of E-Day, which make you think it might mm. not be E-Day. That, that was sort of a trick. So you kind of threw me off. I didn't think at first that the teacher was Haruko until right. the second scene, but we'll get to that. But so the right. fight. But, scene, well, hold on, hold on, hold on. Because, yeah. you know, let me, let me next level you here on that. You know, you see the Vespa, you know what's different? What? License plate. The license oh, really? plate number changed from season one to season two. And, uh, you know, I mean, I noticed this because I was actually tracking this from rewatching season one, but they even give you kind of a hint after Jinyu drives away. You know, Hidomi's mother is ranting about, you know, did you get the plate number on that thing? Yeah. And it's there. You can see it in a different scene, but it makes you think. Why is that important? Who cares? It's not just because they want to phone in the hit and run. They're pushing some things, I think, a little harder than they did as far as like making people want to look for Easter eggs. I was already doing it, but it feels like they Mm. caught me red handed. (laughs) Yeah, no, and I think that it's a good it's a good series for that because they have a lot of small throw twos. Yeah, nothing's an accident. They, They chose every single point of this, I'm sure. Yeah, so that that fight scene goes off. You get, you know, you get the part where she's overflowing, and I think at that point is when she gets the horn, right? Yeah, you don't so, see it at first until no. the dust settles. But you see Haruko's look of glee as it happens, you know, yeah. because she's got an active, spicy NO portal, which is what she's got the real thirst for. Yeah, and... I mean, maybe we'll see something different here. I was joking before that, you know, clearly Haruko has a type that she goes after, but maybe we're going to see that trend get bucked here, you know, that it's not just like dark haired guys with blank stares or large eyebrows. Those eyebrows. Well, I mean, you noticed Ide had like. Oh, no, he's got intense eyebrows. Yeah. Yeah. No, they're, they're human, but. Yeah, no, no, it's within the spectrum, but it's, it's definitely uh, <laughs> burlier than your average bear. So yeah, no, then you get the, then you get the, so the, the scene goes on, Jinyu shows up, you know, rescues, kind of rescues them from that scenario and extracts Ide, but while still giving that cautionary watch out for the woman in the Vespa. And yet she ditches Hidomi completely. Right. I mean, she has a four seater car at least. I mean, you could probably throw a lot of people in that thing if you wanted to. And she's like, no, forget it. Find your way home, girl. It's <laughs> so yeah. much for responsibility. Now, she was commenting on, you know, when she was like, looks good on you. I was like, oh, well, she said that, you know, she said the cat ears don't look good on her. So mm-hmm. is she commenting? It's got to be the horn. It's got the horn. horn. Yeah. So if she's saying she see, liked the horn. Yeah. You see, you know, she's looking at that broken mirror afterward. And here's this horn. Here we go again. Mm-hmm. You know, you know what to expect. Next day, she shows up with the same bandage on. Yep, and so she obviously, you know, pushed it back and dropped that bandage on there. So you know what we're going to get in, in episode two, which is, which is just, you know, parallel to what happened last time. And especially, you know, it's coming in, in episode two because you get the big reveal during the, um, during the next classroom scene, which is kind yeah. of a cut to the next day. So you get her quickly at breakfast with her mom, who's still chipper, telling her not to screw up the bedroom next time. <laughs> I, and once again, responsible. She cleaned up after the monster, after the... Yeah. Attack. No, actually, actually, that's at the end. The whole the whole breakfast thing and Jinyu is the last scene. Oh, sorry. I'm, yeah, so yeah. I'm skipping. So, okay. so 
Well, we're close though, because the classroom scene is is the you know the reveal. Yeah. Um, and Joe, did you want to go into the speech there? Because I, I think I, I there was did. a lot. I did, and I wouldn't have known this except for because I watched it originally and I rewatched it subbed, and it's just because I had watched it on a different occasion once upon a time recently with a friend of mine who had the dub on that I didn't realize it at first, but when you know, the teacher is going into that monologue and picking up the pace, you realize this is the same voice actress for Haruko from season one. Mm. It sounds exactly identical. I did not look it up, but I mean, for me, there was no mistaking it. Even having only watched the dub once, this is her voice. And well, it was harder to tell in the first scene to the second scene, but right. like, like, like no, the second it, scene, you heard it. Yeah. She's in yeah. disguise. She's trying to put on the blandest approach possible. I, I don't even know how comfortable she is in that disguise. I don't even know if she can see. Right, you with know. the hypnotist glasses on. Yeah, it's like, are you standing up? Are you sitting down? Is everybody here? Who cares? But that scene for me is both the major connecting, like they're, they're obviously continuing themes, but for me, it's like the major connecting point to season one. And it's also kind of breaking off from that. You know, you see a similar pattern in the, like in that group text there, you know, everybody starts talking in a way that reaches this very curry point. And because that's the group text, the group text becomes just very curry and it is subtitled this time. Yeah. And, you know, if we have some time, I'd like to go into some of the some of the wording there. But I think what's more important really is that, you know, she goes into this speech about and and you don't really think much of it at first because it seems like it's just going to be more nonsense that she babbled about in the beginning. But she talks about what way is there to live in this universe as people and, you know, her conclusion about not having really a way to live in just a complacent, self-satisfying, self-satisfied way that instead she wants, you know, her students to become what she terms, you know, in the English dub, cosmological adults. And what sounds, what is that? Yeah, I, what is that? It sounds ridiculous, but at the same time, you know, in the context of the scene, like here she is building up, she pulls the mask off, everybody starts cheering. The crowd goes wild. She hits it out of the park, you might say. Right. And I'm listening to this the second time through, and I'm like, this actually sounds like sort of the lesson that I took when I watched season one, you know, very early on. It's like, how do you live in this kind of ordinary, not ordinary world? And I was really moved by that. And so here are a bunch of people watching her talking about you know, how to live in this ordinary, not ordinary world. And they're really moved by it. And so it felt like at once it's like, yeah, this is Furikuri. This is what it's about. This is a parody of Furikuri. This is a parody of what it's about. We're going to mock you as like the audience cheering for something that sounds silly, but also has meaning in it. Yeah. I mean, for me, like I was enjoying myself up to that point, but thinking that through just really drove it home to me that, yeah, my question at the beginning was answered. Do they still got it? They still got it. They still got it. Absolutely. Absolutely. 
and you know you 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 feel that coming into the coming out of the series, you know, out of the the finish of this this episode, like the finish of this episode, finishing strong in that classroom scene, and then even going home, again the reveal that oh nope, Jinyu is going to be sleeping over much as and, Haruko did in season and you one. You knew it was coming. You oh, knew I, I I knew it was coming, but it's it it makes you very excited for the second episode. Yeah. Yeah, this the setup is really strong. I mean, you know, there, there's sometimes where I'm I'm not really excited about a second episode, or I'm like, whatever, blah. This really got me hyped for for episode two. Yeah, because because they've been building up, and even into the credits, there, like we said, we were going to touch on an earlier point here. You know, you see in the credits, you know, Haruko's there with Atomsk, and then Haruko's there clearly with Jinyu. Yes, and they're both you know sort of powered up there and you know, looking at each other, and so. They've laid the groundwork for some kind of opposition here. You know, Haruko's saying in that classroom, you know, you don't need four wheels. Two wheels are enough. Yeah. And so they're not on the same page. Something's going to go down. And I, I just want to see where it's going to go from that. Yeah, no, that, that was super, that was, that would, that conflict is, is super exciting. And, 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 you know, let's, cause we're already there chronologically. Let's get to the credits. During the credits, when the credits are rolling, I think that's, I mean, honestly, the credits had, had two big things for me. And number one was we see more of Atomosk than we saw probably almost in the first series because you, you get very little view of what he actually is till FLCO Climax, you know, which is a giant bird. And, you know, you get that, you get the, the battle, the strife for power there. And then you also, that's number one. Number two is you get the lineup. You get, and you're going through those photos in the lineup, you have season one people in it. You have Kamon, you had Nayota, you had, I think, Memori. Yeah, you had everybody in season one. Yeah, I think everybody and, almost, yeah. And then you have some people that are with the season two characters that we haven't seen yet. Right. I'm pretty sure. Like, I didn't pause it and check out each and every angle for that. But I'm pretty sure there were just some extra folks in there that we're still going to meet. Yeah, because, I mean, if you think back to season one, there's there's characters that we weren't really introduced, like Nina Mori, who becomes a bigger thing, mm-hmm. wasn't really introduced until sure. later episodes. I don't think there's a grandfather figure, but the grandpa didn't really get more timing until later on in the, um, in the series yeah. of season one. And that was, I mean, just to run off of that, this was something that we had talked about recapping season one is Nauta is growing up here in a household of all male figures. And here's Hidomi, who has only female figures really around her in her home life. I mean, even when Jinyu joins them, there's just that specter of an absent male figure that they refer to. But it feels like they're trying to fill the gap that was there when we went through season one and really just had what the boys do, I guess. What, what the boys do, exactly. There's a little bit, there's a little bit too much furikuring. <laughs> and, 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 you know, it's also interesting because I always, I thought about it too as like sort of a take on modernity once again, where there, you know, that is, you know, a huge thing is, is you know, single mothers. I mean, I mean, not that that hasn't been a huge thing in the past, but I mean, it, it still historically is a thing of, you know, single working mother taking care of her daughter, you know, and, and I think there's a cultural commentary on Japan too, because, you know, there's obviously issues with their population, but. But, you know, and here you get, you know, again, two sort of layers on that. One is they want to talk about an issue that's fresh now in 2018 that needs more exposure, that has not had as much exposure in the past, and that hasn't had as much exposure in their own series in the past. 
it's a little kind of blunt, but I'm going to give them some props for meeting a need that they didn't meet in season one. And it's, you know, I totally agree with that. I think it's a need and it's just a general need. And also it's a different sort of series. It's not, and, and I am the worst at my, you know, my one semester of Japanese is all out the door right now. And I know there's different, Joe, you know, you know, there's different typecasting for different sorts of animes. And it's not a, you know, FLCL is not a female only anime, but I think having it from the perspective of a adolescent or soon to be adolescent girl, you know, opens up the audience a little bit more, but while still keeping the comedic action part of it. And I know now you're going to come in, Joe, with all the all the actual terminology here. No, I'm not. I'm going to let that go because it's a typology that I'm not that familiar with. But I am just going to say that my only lingering worry at this point, you know, as we're wrapping this up, is how that kind of familiar scenario with Hidomi and her mother and now Jinyu is going to be played out. Because... Again, Naota and the guys in that household felt very familiar to me as a young person growing up. I just, I can't have that judgment about how true it rings to watch Hidomi and her small family here go through their lives. So uh, that's, that's why we need the ladies in the comments to, you know, tell us what they think and, and send us messages on Facebook, Twitter. And also speak up at DragonCon, where we're going to be talking about Furikuri seasons one and two. Yes, I really am excited about that. Um, that is something that, you know, is, is and just to, to blast it out there, that is locked in for this year is where both Joe and I will be doing a panel at DragonCon 2018 in Atlanta, late August, early September, Labor Day weekend. But yeah, no, finishing it out, it was, I mean, the, the strong themes, I'm going to get to kind of predictions and because I think we've, mm. we've hit a lot of things, but I'm going to get to predictions. And I think this is the big one. And Joe hasn't gone to the clickbait, but my body and my will are strong. And I think, you know, one of the predictions that's circulating out there is that, and a lot of evidence based on this episode is that the missing man is Nauta. Yeah, it's interesting because it's really a question then of what the timetable is. I mean, it seems like this is just a real-time lapse between Furikuri in 2000 and Progressive in 2018, which would mean certainly Naota would be like 30. Right, he, it, it, he, would, he would be, be of childbearing age. I mean, to say nothing of the fact that he could have been a parent even at age 12 there. All right, we're, <laughs> not, we're not going there, Joe. Well, but that's the theme. Like you get to the point where, okay, yeah, your body goes through changes. Your mind has to wrap itself around them. But yeah, I mean, if, if Hidomi's 14, then, ooh, actually, actually, if yeah. you look at it that way, that's pretty young if uh, Naota is, is the guy. So, well, it, it, right. If, if they're doing real time, to real yeah. time. So now, that obviously, means, they, you know, add add five, six years and it's, there's, sure. they wouldn't yeah. even bat an eye at it, you know? Sure. And that's fine. But, and this again is my continual scarring from Evangelion Rebuild. It's like, what is the timetable for this really? Hidomi mm -hmm. has these very vivid dreams that other people seem to know about, that Jinyu seems to know about. Are they prophetic dreams? Are they flashbacks? They're showing things that we know happen similarly elsewhere. You know, the references to other planets flattened by medical mechanica. Is that what she's going to be dealing with going forward? Is that something that she's 
recollecting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, no, it, it that's open. That's open. So, I mean, yes, I'm, there are theories. There's definite hints there. I'm going to push back against all of them and say, I don't think that's how he's going to appear. And Nauta? Yeah. And, I, and, I, and, I, and I think that, you know, the one thing for me, me, and maybe it didn't hit you, but I was reading into this sort of like the, the speech when the mother was talking about waiting for him to return, like we're all waiting for him to return. Maybe mm-hmm. we should stop waiting. Maybe we should move on. I would felt like that was a super meta moment. Like that's like speaking to the viewers saying like, you know, because I mean, it's a question. It's like, what happened to everybody? That's, that's mm-hmm. on everybody's mind. What happened to these people? What happened to season one? Where are they? And, and to me, that was sort of like speaking to me as the viewer and saying, hey, maybe you just have to move on and maybe you just have to get past it. But wait a second, let's throw in this really this really giant, you know, possible plot hole here to keep your thirst uh, activated. Sure, but it wouldn't be Furikuri if they weren't also ready, willing, and able to put something in that plot hole that you don't want to go in there. You know, yeah. I'd say right now, and you can go to Vegas with this if you want to, that All right. even, you know, even odds on... Nauta being in that father figure position there and Commander Amaral. Oh, oh, you say, whoa, 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 you say Commander Amaral, dad. What would be the biggest troll? What that would be would the be... biggest troll moment? Oh my God. Like, first of all, him, him mating with anything. <laughs> Second of all, her eyebrows are normal. You know, third his of all, eyebrow, she's, not a, his, his she's real, not a ginger. His real eyebrows are actually substandard. You know, the ones he has are fake. Yeah, and I, I, he's not a ginger either. He colors his hair. I was shipping um, the commander and the lieutenant in the last one. Yeah, and she totally shuts him down. Politely <laughs> but firmly rebuffs his attempts to even talk about things outside of work. Kids don't shit where you eat. Very, very important. Life lessons. Which is what we're all about here, talking about Furikuri life. Lessons. And and the one thing we haven't we haven't done, and I need to go back and watch, is that leaked episode, the first episode of season three. You you can do that if you like. I'm going to keep myself pure, pure and and un, unspoiled, unsullied. I mean, maybe I'll change my mind after season two is over, but before yeah. we go to Dragon Con to talk about it. But I do not want to scoop myself for the other five episodes of this. Okay, I watch them as earnestly as I can and I cannot wait. Okay, great. Yeah, no, I, 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 um, I, I won't go there then. We'll wait for that episode, but, but, um, but there's some, I'll just, I'll say this coming out of that episode, you know, there, there's, there's speculation about season one and where everybody is in season one based on that too. So like, sure. there's a lot of circulating what's going on with season one. That's in the, the fandom right now wants to know, what's going on with the season one characters. Yeah, I'm, I'm, not saying, I'm not saying I don't think anyone will show up. I think we will have people show up, but if they show up where people would expect them to be, I think they'd be ready to have a joke at our expense about this. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so I think that wraps it up. Joe, do you have any final thoughts before we um, kick it off? No, I mean, I... I'm ready to go on and talk for another hour about all kinds of stuff in this, but I think we'll let it go and see what crops up in episode two that we can connect into. And, and we, what we will definitely be doing for this series is probably to, you know, we'll do an episode by episode, obviously, but I think, you know, either at the end of the season, maybe season two, or maybe just the end of season two and three, just going back and doing themes from everything and kind of wrapping it up like we did with season one. 
We'll, we'll need to plot out what we're going to do there because I also don't want to scoop us for our own panel. <laughs> That's right. We got to save a little bit of the spice. So thank you everybody for joining us. Hope you guys enjoyed Parikuri season two, progressive episode one restart as much as we did. This is Andrew. This and, is Joe. And thank you for coming out and please visit us on Facebook and Twitter. We'll see you next week.